Come on, I want you to look at Exodus 14 this morning. Exodus 14. I'm going to look at verses 10 through 14, and we're picking up uh, on a familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, Moses has had an interaction with Pharaoh. He says, we're sick of this. Uh, we're ready to leave. Pharaoh says, that's cool. But as soon as they get ready to make their exit, Pharaoh changes his mind. How many know the enemy does not want you to experience freedom? And they start chasing after the Israelites. And that's what we're picking up today in verse number 10. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. If you're not ready, say, hold up. Come on, well, hurry up. It's going to be on the screen. Come on. <laughs> It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Who can you say amen? Come on, that is good all by itself. I don't do drugs, I do scripture. That is good. Good stuff. I want to preach, teach, encourage, exhort you today using this as a subject. Faith for the middle. Faith for the middle. Would you help me preach? Look at the person next to you, get in their face, get in their personal space, and just say neighbor. Oh, come on, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor in church. Come on, say neighbor. You need faith for the middle. Just in case that neighbor was stuck up in bougie, find you another neighbor, find you another neighbor. <laughs> Come on, say other neighbor. I'm telling you, you need faith for the middle. If you believe God's going to speak to you, would you give him some praise up in here? <laughs> Come on, let's pray before we go into this. Father, I thank you for your word. I know the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word shall stand forever. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Our ears are open. Our hearts are receptive. We want to hear from you, Jesus. And when we leave, let us not say we were entertained. But God, let us say we were drastically changed by the power and the potency of your word. And somebody who loves Jesus, say amen. amen. Say amen again. Amen. Has anybody in here been to an airport lately? So you might have been to an airport lately. Can I see your hand if you've been to an airport lately? Okay. Uh, if you lifted up your hand, you are acutely aware of the fact that what I just asked was, has anybody been to purgatory lately? <laughs> oh, hashtag, it is hard to stay saved in an airport. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says, the Bible says that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Don't forget the last one, self-control. If you are a believer, that fruit should be evident in your life. However, if you're here today and you say, Robert, I got that fruit, but you've never flown, 
how do I say this? I don't believe you. I don't believe you because the airport is designed to suck the fruit of the spirit out of you. The whole airport is orchestrated to make you lose your salvation. People, the, last, the lost baggage claim desk is just a test to see if you really won't say words that you're not supposed to say. Yes, yes, the reason the person behind the counter is moving at a glacial pace and typing one word per minute and seems to be undisturbed and unperturbed by the fact that you paid a baggage fee for them to lose your bag is because they want to quietly giggle on the inside when they make you act a fool and say in public, catch me outside, how about that? Catch me outside. I'm telling you, it's designed to make you lose your mind. And, and if you're wondering how I have all of this airport and travel knowledge, it's because I am an avid traveler, to say the least. For the last 14 years of my life, there has not been a week that I've not been on an airplane or at an airport flying somewhere to preach the gospel. For the last 14 years, I have been traveling, okay? Now... I'm not going to act like it's all bad. I'm not going to act like it's all bad because, come on, let's be honest. I am now executive platinum with American Airlines. <laughs> Some of y'all like, Robert, quit bragging about being executive platinum. All executive platinum means is I get a half inch more leg room and I get the pitiful, proud privilege of saying, I got on the plane before you. Which, if you think about it, is equivalent to the dude that says, I got to prison before you. So, <laughs> it's not really that big of a deal. However, over the years, I have developed a few personal planes pet peeves and I want to share them with you today because we're family because a lot of it has to do with the seating on the plane these are my personal plane pet peeves here's one I don't like that my seat back has to be in the upright position for takeoff and landing that annoys me I got two young kids some of the best sleep I ever get is on a plane and I have been woken up on a plane by a steward saying sir get up I'm like what 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 we crashing no I just need your seat back in the upright position before we take off. Really? Is this a matter of national security? It ain't like the seat go back that far. It only goes back about this much. So in essence, what she's saying to me is that this is safe. This ain't safe. This is safe. This ain't safe. That just annoys me. Oh, I got more. Another one has to do with a person that gets on a plane. And they always late. They're always late. And they're rushing. They're like, oh, whoo. I almost missed the flight, but I'm so glad I had time to go to Mickey D's. And they pull out a burger with extra cheese and extra onions. And the pungent odor is permeating the fabric of my clothes. Man, get you some granola. That annoys me. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair that before I got on the plane, if you asked me my fragrance, I would tell you Givenchy. But when I get off of the plane, you ask me my fragrance, I say a number three. I'm wearing a number three because he made a bad food decision on the plane. Oh, I got another one. This is going to get me kicked out the church, this one. Um, I don't like I don't like to sit next to the lady whoo, with the crying baby. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to sit next to the crying baby that doesn't have an off button. Okay, true story, People's Church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm on this plane. I'm on this plane and I'm sitting next to this lady and this baby is crying at the top of his lungs, drooling on my iPad as I'm trying to study. And, and the plane wasn't that full. It wasn't that full. So I asked the stewardess, I said, ma'am, do you mind if I switch my seat? And the stewardess says, of course, you're executive platinum. So I changed my seat on the plane. I get off the plane and I see the lady with the crying baby and can y'all believe this lady got an attitude with me because I changed my seat on the plane. Can y'all believe this lady got mad at me because I changed my seat on the plane. Can y'all believe my wife Taylor got mad at me because I changed my seat. <laughs> 
on the play. I don't like <laughs> sitting next to the crying baby, even if it's mine. And um, it's just a few pet peeves I have on the plane, but I can handle, hear me church, I can handle the crying baby, I can handle all of the aforementioned annoyances, so long as I am not sitting in one seat. There is one seat that I can never sit on a plane before every flight I check it. I've already checked it before I leave Oklahoma today. The one seat I cannot sit in is the seat in the middle. I can't do it. I can't sit in the middle. I don't mind sitting on the aisle. I can get up, go to the bathroom whenever I want. I don't mind sitting by the window. I can take a picture of the clouds, put it on Instagram. Hashtag God is the greatest artist. But the seat I do not want to sit in is the seat in the middle. You realize in the middle, you don't even get an armrest. That's not for you. You are sitting like this in the middle, frustrated, trying to figure out how in the world did I end up right here and yet, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I'm finding that a life of faith, a life of Christianity, is often lived out in the middle seat. Oh, I'm wondering, does anybody know what it's like today to wrestle with the weight and the complexity of being uncomfortable and stuck in the middle? To be stuck between, watch this, not where you used to be and not where you're going to be, but you are wrestling with the weight of being stuck in the middle. Oh, the middle seat is an uncomfortable place. The real you comes out when you are stuck in the middle. That's the part of you you don't post on Instagram because it is frustrating and exasperating to be stuck in the middle. This is the tenor of my text today because we are getting insight and getting to eavesdrop into the children of Israel because they are wrestling with the weight of being stuck in the middle. They are not in Egypt where they used to be. They're not in the promised land where they're going to be, but they are wrestling with the weight of the middle and the real you comes out in the middle. Ooh, I, like, you got to stay with me. I'm going somewhere today. I love Exodus 14 because it is one of the greatest biblical passages of scripture because scholars tell us that in Exodus 14 we get one of the clearest pictures of what it means to be saved. One of the clearest biblical pictures is in Exodus 14 and that is the picture of this, of the children of Israel walking out of Egypt through the Red Sea in route to the promised land. That is one of the clearest biblical pictures of salvation and here's why. Because for 400 years, 400 hundred years, 400 years. That is a long time. For 400 years, they were in slavery. For 400 years, they were in bondage. And in one moment, all of a sudden, they go from being slaves to being saved. In one moment, they go from singing songs of sorrow to singing songs of joy. In one moment, they go from being slaves to understanding I am a child of the Most High God and nothing can ever hold me down when I am a king's kid. In one moment after 400 years they get the victory oh come on how dare you sit in this place today and have the nerve the audacity the unmitigated gall to say well Robert I don't know if God can bring me out of what I'm facing right now because I've been in this a long time has it been 400 years come on somebody when God wants to bring you out he will bring you out with a 
mighty hand. There is no stronghold. There is no addiction. There is no bondage that God can bring you out of. Oh, I love it. After 400 years, they got the victory in one moment. Now, we got to ask ourselves as critical thinking, cognitive individuals, what was the impetus? What was the cause agent of their freedom? You'll first note, it was not their morality. It wasn't like God came down with the Ten Commandments and stood in front of the Red Sea and said, all y'all promise to keep these commandments, otherwise I'm not going to split the water. Y'all promise you better put your hand up, this water is cold. No, it had nothing to do with their morality. So away with this ideology or this notion that you have to somehow get yourself together before you come to God. How many know you can't get yourself together? Come on, if you could, you would have done it by now. You are too hashtag jacked up to get yourself together. That's why you needed a savior. So it had nothing to do with their morality. It didn't even have anything to do with their level of faith for all you spiritual people. Because you know that there was a lot of different levels of faith of the people who were walking through their Red Sea. There were some people who were walking through with great faith. I mean great faith. They were like, oh, I told y'all God was going to set us free. Didn't I tell you last week we were going to get the victory? I knew we were getting up out here. Oh, they had great faith. But there were some people who were walking through with little or no faith and they were like, Moses, don't you drop that staff. I can't swim now. Come on. And they were walking through scared to death. So it didn't have anything to do with their level of faith. So why then did God save them? He saved them because they had been crying out to a God that they had heard about but hadn't personally experienced. And that God responded not to their deeds but to their need. If you have a need in this place today, can I tell you, you are at the right place at the right time because your God doesn't need anything but your need. He needs your need. He needs you to need him and he responds to the cry of his people. Now, I hope I don't bore you today, but we have to really dig deep into this passage because we can't approach this text like it's a cute Sunday school story because this is an Old Testament passage and we have to read it with some Christocentric cognizance. It's just a fancy way to say you got to see Jesus all up in this text. As a matter of fact, the whole Bible is just one book pointing to one man whose name is Jesus. And the Old Testament is simply a shadow of what Christ is in the New Testament. It's just a shadow. For instance, those of you who are here on the front row, uh, can y'all see my shadow is being cast on the stage? Y'all see my shadow? How many of you know my shadow has to do what I do? Like if I lift up my hand, my shadow better lift up his hand, okay? If I start dancing, my shadow better dance, okay? If I start dancing and my shadow goes, y'all got to find another preacher this morning, okay? I'm dropping the mic and running home, okay? My shadow has to do what I do. My shadow is proof positive of two things. Number one, I am real. I'm a real object. And there is a light in this room. Because Jesus is real, and he is the light of the world. He casts the shadow, which is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just the shadow of which Christ is the reality. Can I take you deeper? If you look at my shadow, how many of you know you cannot get distinctive features by looking at my shadow? Like, you can't look at my shadow and know my hair color or my eye color. You know why? It's just a shadow. And that's why when you read about certain individuals in the Old Testament who do exploits for the kingdom of God, they are not Christ, but they're just giving you previews of a coming attraction. They're just setting up what Jesus is going to do when he steps on the scene. So that brings clarity to this text because you find out that the children of Israel are just a shadow of the church and the believer. Pharaoh becomes a shadow of Satan. Egypt becomes a shadow of sin, which is why Pharaoh wants them to stay there. Moses becomes a shadow of Christ because he was born for no other reason than to bring salvation, liberty, and deliverance to an entire generation. Come on, is there anybody that loves your Bible? I'm trying to take you somewhere. The 
the, the Old Testament, the Old Testament Passover that was instituted under Moses, where they would take an innocent lamb, bad, kill that lamb, and then sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the wooden doorpost. So when the death angel saw the blood of the lamb on the wooden doorpost, it would pass over that house. That's just giving you a preview of another lamb who is going to be slain. But his blood will not be shed on a wooden doorpost. It's going to be shed on a wooden cross. So when you identify with the cross of Jesus Christ because his blood is so powerful, how many are thankful that death has to pass over your life? Disease has to pass over your life. Poverty's got to pass over your life. The Red Sea that they walked through, that was just baptism. Oh yes, because it says when I go through this water, the old me is staying stuck in Egypt, but the new me is coming out of the water ready to step into all that God has for me. Now, if that don't make you praise God, something is wrong with you for real though. No, for real, because that's exactly what the children of Israel did. When they looked back and they saw Pharaoh and all of his horses and all of his men drown in that water, they started praising God exuberantly. They turned all the way up. They started praising God. That's why I can always tell in the service somebody who is fully convinced that God has brought them out of something. Because that person don't need a praise and worship leader. They don't need a tambourine. They don't need anybody to say, come on, can we lift up our hands? No, that person just needs a flashback to where they could have been and where they should should have been if it had not been for the grace of God that was in their life. Come on, can we take a praise break and just praise God and thank him for what he brought you out of? Oh, some of y'all ain't never been brought out of something, but some of y'all know God has been too good to you for you to sit there like you in a library, but would you give God some praise like you know he has brought you out of something? Hallelujah. They started praising God. They started worshiping. Who in my mind, I see Moses getting behind the podium going free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. But hear me, church, after after the euphoria of their emancipation had eradicated, once the thrill was gone, once the lights were cut off, After they unplugged Moses' microphone and the water receded, after the service was over, they're now faced with a question that you have to ask yourself if you've ever had an encounter with God. And that question is this, who am I now? Who am I now? I know I'm no longer a slave and now I'm saved, but how do you walk in that? Especially when I've been a slave for so long. Let me say it another way. I know I'm out of Egypt, but how do I get Egypt out of me? See, this is what a lot of church people don't like to deal with. They don't like to deal with the fact that you can be out of Egypt, but not have Egypt out of you. And when you're out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of you, it is frustrating. It is exasperating. It makes you feel like you're schizophrenic (laughs) because you know you had an encounter with God. You know it. You saw the water part, but you still got some Egypt behavior. You still got some Egypt mentality. See, this is when you start making what I call if I, then why statements. Have you ever made an if I, then why statement? It's like, if I have the peace of God, then why am I so stressed out? It's like, if I have Jehovah Jireh, my provider, then why is my money funny, my change is strange, and I got more bills than I got income? Come on, can we be real and here today? Does anybody know what it's like to make an if I, then why statement 
and it is indicative of the fact that you're out of Egypt, but Egypt is still coming out of you. And what a lot of people don't understand about Christianity that is critical is that initially, initially, Christianity is a change of status more than it is a change of behavior. I'm going to say it again. Initially, Christianity is a change of status more than it is a change of behavior. Watch this. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. That was their status. In a moment, God set them free and they were saved. They're now saved. New status. The challenge before they get into the promised land is how do I get my behavior to come into alignment with my new status? Uh, the challenge that faces us every single morning we wake up is to get our behavior to come into alignment with the status that Christ has procured for us. And ladies and gentlemen, that ooh, is a process. It is a process to become who God has called and created you to be. And I felt like my assignment this morning was to tell somebody, don't give up just because you're in process. Trust God even though you are uncomfortable and stuck in the middle because he's gonna get you to your destination. Trust him in the middle seat. Somebody say process. process. Say like you had some espresso this morning. Say process. Oh, it is a process. I'm telling you, I wish it wasn't. If it wasn't a process, my job as a preacher would be so much easier. But it is not an instantaneous thing. It is a process to become who God has called you to be. I wish it wasn't. I wish walking with God was like Hot Pockets. Come on, somebody. You had a Hot Pocket. You put it in the microwave two minutes and 30 seconds and you got an awesome meal. But God says, no, I, uh, I don't work like that. In fact, I found out God is a lot more oven than he is microwave. And if you're ever going to become who he's called you to be, you got to be committed to the process and trust him in the middle seat and not let the enemy make you think that you have not been called and that you are not a believer just because you're in process. I think I might have even shared this before, but I've said it several times. You do know that I am African-American, right? One of the realest ones you ever see. Some of y'all say, y'all, I am for real bona fide African-American because my father, he's from Nigeria. He's from Nigeria. He came to America like Eddie Murphy in a movie and <laughs> he met my mom who's American. So when your daddy's African and your mother's American, that makes you, which is what I am. And uh, I think in two months, my dad will celebrate and commemorate 36 years that he's been a citizen of these United States of America. Okay, 36 years. Now... When my dad first came to this country, he was not a citizen. He had to apply for citizenship. And I'm not sure what the process was. I think they asked him a litany of questions. I think there was an interview. He had to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know what happened. But when it was all said and done, he was deemed a United States citizen. Maybe they stamped his forehead. But they said, you are now a United States citizen. But how many of you know after becoming a United States citizen, my father did not wake up the next morning and go, hello, my name is Robert Madu the first. And I am now a United States citizen. How I many know it did not go down like that, okay? No citizenship was changing that accent, okay? If anything, my dad woke up the next morning and he said, Hello, my name is Robert Madu the first, and I am a United States citizen, okay? No citizenship was changing the accent. He's a citizen, don't even sound like one. My dad was a United States citizen. He had never seen an NFL game before, never seen a football game. He is watching his first football game going, what are these idiots doing? <laughs> this is not football. The football, I know, you take a ball and you kick it with your foot. This is not football. What is this? United States citizen, never seen football before. Oh, it gets worse. He was United States citizen. He had never had pizza before. 
Never had pizza. Somebody said, you want some pizza? He goes, what is pizza? I don't know pizza. I know goat. I know chicken. I don't know pizza, okay? United States citizen. Never had pizza before. My dad was United States citizen. He had never seen snow before. Never seen snow. Now, you can't be shocked at that one, okay? You let me know how you did in geography because you know it don't snow in Africa. It is hot in Africa, okay? It is hot. And I have preached open-air crusades in Africa. It is hot in Nigeria. I mean, I stepped off the plane. My nose hairs got singed. That's how hot it is in Nigeria. I looked at the thermometer. It just said hell. That's how hot it is. It's a different level of heat. And so, because my dad had never seen snow, because he had never seen snow except for on TV, he thought, he thought that if snow landed on you, it would hurt you, okay? And of all places, I can't make this up, he lands in New York City in the wintertime. So this is my father walking through New York as snow is coming down. Go, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, don't let the snow get me scared of snow. Now you laugh, you laugh, but that was 30 plus years ago. Today, huh, the man knows more about football than I do. He'll be throwing pillows at the flat screen saying, oh my goodness, these referees are cheating and so are the Green Bay Packers. They are stopping my Cowboys from getting in the Super Bowl. What is this? Oh, he knows about football now. He'll get so frustrated watching the Cowboys, he'll go, son, I can't watch this anymore. Please order me some pizza. <laughs> knows about pizza now. Knows about it now. We had an ice storm not too long ago come through Dallas, an ice storm, you know, it was a little ice storm. And my dad, because he's such a man of God and he's such a servant, after the ice storm, he was outside, not just shoveling the ice on his driveway, but shoveling the ice on everybody's driveway, saying, I don't want anybody to get hurt. Let me shovel this shoveling something that he used to be afraid of. See, the enemy loves to come into your mind and make you doubt your citizenship in the kingdom of God just because you got areas of weakness in your life. But you got to talk back to the devil and tell him, you are a liar. God is not through with me yet. I'm not perfect, but I'm still in the perfecting process. And sooner or later, I'm going to be who God has called me to be because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Ooh. Don't you doubt your citizenship in the kingdom of God just because there's areas of weakness in your life because it is a process to become who God has created you to be. Can I tell you why it's a process? Are you bored yet? Here's part of the reason it's a process. Part of the reason it's a process is simply because of the way you were created. You do know you were created in the image of God, right? And your God is three in one. And because he is three in one, you are three in one. Oh, yes, there was three of you sitting in that seat right now. Three of you. Some of you are like, ooh, that's why I heard that voice the other day. No, <laughs> you just might be crazy, but no, I'm playing. The three of you, I, I'll show it. Three of you, watch this. You are a spirit housed in a body, and you have a soul. When you put your faith in Jesus, your spirit, that which was dead, comes alive. Your spirit immediately comes alive. That is instantaneous. That's why snot is going this way. Tears are coming this way. You look like a hurricane hit your face because that which was dead has immediately come alive. Your spirit immediately comes alive. Your body, whoo, not so much. Not so much. I wish that once you prayed a prayer of salvation, that if you had a gut, it goes to a six-pack. I wish. <laughs> but it's not going to happen. It is not going to happen, okay? You want that? You, you just got to rebuke Krispy Kreme donuts and hit the gym, okay? <laughs> body doesn't change. Got to wait till heaven to get my new body. My soul, whoo, that's the middle seat. Because in your soul, you have the pain of your past. I have my thoughts. 
I have my emotions. I have the things that I've done. I have the things that have been done to me. And that is the middle seat. And I've got to allow the same spirit of God that changed me in a moment through a process to change my soul so I can become who God has created me to be. This is why God did not star track the children of Israel straight out of Egypt, next day promised land, because you know he could have done that. He says, no, I'm going to take you through a process because before I get you into the promised land, I got to get Egypt out of you. But in an interesting and route to the promise, they say the ridiculous, asinine statement, Lord, take us back to Egypt. And before you laugh at the children of Israel, can you do me a favor and check yourself? Before you wreck yourself? Because what makes us want to go back? I call it the frustration of freedom. Because the frustration of freedom is this. It is so much easier to go back to what is familiar than it is to walk forward by faith. It is so much easier to go back to what you've always known than to trust God for what's ahead. I feel the children of Israel. I know what they mean by saying, take me back to Egypt. They're saying, yeah, Egypt was bad and it was slavery, but at least it was a schedule. Come on, I know I got whipped and beaten, but at least I knew every day at 3 o'clock, I'm going to get my beating and it's over and I can do what I have to do and check my Instagram. At least there was a schedule. But this whole thing of following Moses and he don't know where he's going and we just out here walking around in the desert, this is frustrating. Because it's so much easier to go back to what you've always known and what's familiar. But God told me to tell somebody, he's not called you to walk by what is familiar. He has called you to trust him and walk by faith. And you got to trust him in the middle seat and just keep walking. As I begin to land the plane on this sermon and somebody comes to play softly behind me, the children of Israel <laughs> had to trust him in the middle and just keep walking because there was greater in front of them than what had been behind them. And the enemy wants you to give up and stop walking with God simply because you're stuck in the middle. I'll never forget, and I might have even shared this story before, I'll never forget hearing the story of this police dog. This uh, police dog specialized in high-speed chases. Whenever they were chasing a suspect, they would send this dog after the suspect. And one day this dog bolts out in the middle of a busy intersection. Cars are flying by. The car didn't see the dog, slammed on its brakes, but it was too late. The car hit the dog, and the impact was so intense that it completely crushed the dog's hind legs. The dog survived the accident, but it affected its walk. It caused the dog to flail its front legs in front and then drag its hind legs behind. It would flail its front legs in front and drag its hind legs behind. And oftentimes when it wasn't walking like that, it would just stay stuck in one place. Come to find out when the dog got hit by the car, it was pregnant with puppies. Dog gave birth to the puppies. Puppies were healthy, beautiful. Nothing wrong with the puppy's legs. But when the puppies got ready to walk, guess how they walked? By flailing their front legs in front and dragging their hind legs behind. And the veterinarian had the hardest time trying to get these puppies to realize, hello? nothing wrong with your legs you've just been walking out the dysfunction that was modeled in front of you so the veterinarian began 
the process of teaching these puppies to walk the way they were created to walk. Teaching these puppies to walk the way they were designed to walk. Come on, do you know why you had to be in the house of God today? We didn't gather here on Sunday so you could sing songs off a screen like it's Christian karaoke and just hear an inspirational message. But no, every time you come into the house of God, every time you lift up your hands in worship, even when you don't feel like it, every time you start applying this word to your life and saying, God, I'm going to trust you even though it's uncomfortable. Do you know what God is doing? He is teaching you how to walk the way you were created to walk. He is putting strength back in your legs. Come on, is there somebody in here who says, Robert, God has brought me too far for me to go back to what is familiar. But I believe that there is greater in front of me than what's been behind me. So I'm going to trust him even though I'm stuck in the middle. Telling you, don't you give up because your destiny is so much greater than your history. You only step into it if you trust him in the middle and say, God, I'm going to keep on walking.